Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show us now your glory. We were made to behold your glory. Grant that every one of us in this room this evening may leave with a deep assurance, an unbreakable assurance that we are loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ. Get glory to yourself through our overwhelming joy in Christ this evening. We pray in his name. Amen. Finish this sentence, please. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does Jesus, the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world? The Bible's answer to that question is he does so in two ways. Number one, he takes away the sin of the world by his death as the wrath-bearing, sin-removing, sinner-justifying saviour. As we see him beautifully portrayed and prophesied in Isaiah 53. For all those who would turn and trust him and bow the knee to him, as the great invitation goes out, we have in Isaiah 53, the song of the Redeemer. And in Isaiah 54, we have the song of the redeemed. And in Isaiah 55, we have the great invitation underpinned by the certainty that God's word will accomplish everything to which he send it and that he will save all of his people from all of their sins for all of time and for all of eternity. He, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on, for those who will trust him in this life. Their sin will be dealt with and gone forever. Number two... He will take away the sin of the world when he returns as conqueror and judge of all mankind. Which is the theme of these last ten chapters of the book of Isaiah. From Isaiah 56 through 66, the third great glorious vision that Isaiah saw of Jesus and his glory is to see him as God's anointed conqueror and judge. That's the theme of these last 10 chapters of Isaiah 56 through 66. So Isaiah 56 is where we're going to start thinking about this evening, is given to those who have trusted in the Lamb of Calvary, who bore their sins in his own body on the tree, and who are therefore waiting for the Lamb upon his throne to return for the renewal of all things. I love the phrase. This is one of the Greek words that I love, palingenesia. It means 
the again Genesis of all things. We started looking this morning in the book of Genesis when Tim took us to the chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and a cosmos came into being that is far beyond our tiny minds to comprehend how vast is the ever-expanding cosmos that God spoke into existence. And at the end of the age, he will speak another cosmos into existence. The new heavens and the new earth. The palingenesia, the again genesis of all things. And we who have trusted Christ are waiting for that great day. And you get that from Isaiah 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. Why? For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. So how should we, God's waiting people, how should we live between the now and the not yet? As those who possess his blood-bought salvation, and are also longing for his full salvation. The Apostle Peter asks and answers the same question that we'll be thinking about in Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. This is how the Apostle Peter raises the question, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Can you imagine that the the heavens as they currently are, that we gaze into the galaxies and we see a tiny fraction of them, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. That's just mind-blowing. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So we, as his waiting people, are to be his holy people. And through Isaiah, the Lord shows us what that means and what are the marks that will be evident amongst his holy people so that we can have great assurance That whatever happens, we are included in all of the blood-bought covenant blessings that the Lamb of Calvary has purchased for us. So as we wait, the call of Isaiah 56 is that we worship him. And our worship of him is expressed in three ways. God's waiting people will be marked out by being his, number one, his inclusive, Sabbath-keeping people. Number two, will be marked out by being his international, praying people. 
because we are becoming his gathered people. That's where we're going this evening. So if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 56 is where we're looking. We are to be his inclusive Sabbath-keeping people. Notice the text tells us three times over that those who are holy, those who love the Lord, those who are waiting for the Lord's return are marked by their keeping of his Sabbath. Verse 2, blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Verse 4, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. Verse 6, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant. What does it mean for us, New Testament waiting believers, to keep his Sabbath? According to the text, there are three aspects of what it means to keep his Sabbath. They are, verse 2, keep your hands from doing evil. In other words, you don't do what you want. You don't do, you don't put, your, your, you don't do what you want. You don't keep your hands from doing evil, verse 2. Number, verse 4, you choose what pleases him and hold fast to his covenant, verse 6. You bind yourself to the Lord to minister to him and to love his name. In other words, the keeping of the Sabbath is to bind yourself to the Lord, verse 6. To keep the Sabbath is to have the Lord at the very center of your life. To keep the Sabbath means to rest in and rejoice in his finished work. Come unto me, says Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Keeping the Sabbath is never, according to God's word, never a detailed list of do's and don'ts to be observed with self-righteous scrupulosity. I was once told, and this is a true story, this isn't, you know, half, this is a true story of a Christian who worships at a church not a million miles away from us, and they have a very, very strict view of keeping the Lord's Day holy. And this particular chap, whose name I will not tell you, because you'll know who I'm talking about if I tell you, was turned up at church one day and they, they noticed that one shoe was clean and one shoe was dirty and they just commented on it. I notice you've got one clean shoe and one dirty shoe. Why is that? He said, well, I normally clean my shoes on the last thing on a Saturday night. But I realised I'd left it a bit late. And midnight came and I'd only cleaned one shoe. So I had to leave the other one. I couldn't clean it because we'd crossed over onto the Lord's Day. I, that is not intended by Sabbath keeping. So he had one shoe clean, one shoe dirty. Eh, it is never ever that. Rather, it is a delightful obedience that flows out of knowing Jesus as the Lord and the love of your life.
John Newton, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. It is also a weekly reminder of his victory on Calvary that purchased for God's people the ultimate Sabbath rest for the people of God. The pinnacle of creation, the pinnacle of God's six-day creation is the Sabbath day. He blessed the Sabbath day and kept it and marked it as holy. That's what we're going to get to in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. The Sabbath is a picture of ultimate new creation. Therefore, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. And therefore, the weekly remembering of the Sabbath is a foretaste of that which Jesus ultimately purchased for us on the cross. That's what Sabbath keeping means. It is an expression, an, indi an indication that the Lord is the most important person in your heart and life and family. And your life is prioritized by your relationship with him. That's what it means in a nutshell. And we are to be his inclusive Sabbath-keeping people. Why do I say inclusive? Notice what the text says. He gives two, in verse 3, Isaiah gives two case studies of normally excluded people who are cited here to make the point that the gospel only excludes those who exclude themselves. Look at verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. These two types of people, the foreigner and the eunuch, were excluded from the covenants and the presence of God. You find that mentioned in uh, Ezekiel 44, but the text I want to just refer you to is Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 4, where Moses, speaking by the Spirit, says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting, that's made themselves a eunuch, may enter the assembly of the Lord. Let me just pause there for a moment. Commentators have varying opinions about what's going on here. It would appear, according to some, that one of the acts of pagan devil worship was to emasculate yourself, to please the goat demon. That may be what's going on here in Deuteronomy. But anyone, no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Verse 2, no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of the descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. So there were some groups of people who were excluded from the covenant promises of God, according to Deuteronomy. But here in Isaiah 56, those two case studies, the foreigner, who's bound to the Lord, 
may lose their assurance, and that's not what the Lord wants to happen. He wants them to have an assurance. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me. And the second, let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Why? Because all of that changed because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Let me give you a New Testament corollary of that in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that at that time, you, that's us Gentiles, foreigners, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The go-to passage to see this worked out in a particular example of the inclusivity of the new covenant is Acts, 20, is Acts chapter 8, 26 through 39, where we have a guy who's a foreigner from Ethiopia and is a eunuch from Ethiopia. So he ticks both boxes, in a sense, if you understand what I mean. Can you imagine? He's been to Jerusalem... He's been to the temple to worship. It is most likely that the the people of Ethiopia, and you can probably trace it back to the Queen of Sheba when she came to visit Solomon, had a memory trace and a record, a, a, a record, and a, an idea that there was something better in Jerusalem than they were experiencing. Anyway, this Ethiopian eunuch, who was, the tre- who was the, in charge of the treasury of uh, the, the country of Ethiopia, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he will have found, under the old covenant rules, cited in Deuteronomy 23, no, you can't come in. So he's on his way back to Ethiopia... And by God's providence, he's reading Isaiah 53. And Philip is told by the Spirit to go and join himself to the chariot. And God does a miracle and opens this man's heart and welcomes him in to the covenant blessings. So the Ethiopians are in, the foreigners are in, the eunuchs are in, no one's excluded. The great theologian Augustine came from Ethiopia. Therefore, there are not classes of Christian, are there? There is no pecking order within the church. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Therefore, from whatever lifestyle, we are thinking about lifestyle choices yesterday, from whatever lifestyle, or social class, or ethnicity, or pedigree, or past, whoever the Lord saves and welcomes into fellowship with himself, we too must welcome and embrace with open arms. Because Jesus' death and resurrection brings you and me to God. And... Jesus' death and resurrection brings you and me together. And Jesus' death and resurrection brings them, the outsiders, the people who don't 
have the same worldview as us, the same lifestyle choices as we do. They're brought in. I was talking to someone this week who, who used to worship in a, in a church in London. Uh, he was part of the youth leadership of the church in London that he was going to. And um, he was a prominent uh, youth leader in the church there. And he, 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 he cites the case and he says, to my shame, I, I'll share this with you. He says, I remember in the church, it was a lively, vibrant church in London, there was a guy that turned up one Sunday and sat at the back of the church and he looked a bit odd, he looked a bit different to us, a bit unkempt, a bit scruffy, a bit didn't fit in. And I, I, was, I was with my mates, I was hanging out with the cool people in the church and we were all together and it was great and it was fun, brilliant, we were having our time, we were loving each other, it was great. And this guy came week by week, week by week, week by week, and sat on his own at the back. And, and I thought someone else would talk to him. I didn't talk to him, says this friend of mine. And then he stopped coming. And then I asked, where's that guy that used to sit at the back? And someone said, oh, he, um, he died of AIDS last week. And he said... And I never talked to him because he was different. Terrible, isn't it? Terrible. Because the gospel embraces, heaven's best embraces earth's worst and welcomes them in. And notice what the text also goes on to say, that each and every person, whether they're married or single, or foreign, or eunuchs, will have who Christ has loved and valued and brought them in, they are promised, individual, customized, particular, eternal blessings by him. Verse 4, For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. As Rob reminded us yesterday, singleness is a gift to be embraced. And here's the promise that God gives, a name better than sons and daughters. An everlasting name. The Ethiopian eunuch has got a name better than sons and daughters. An everlasting name that will endure forever. A customized, personal, particular blessing for him. There's a particular blessing for married people. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, to all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. We are to be as inclusive as the Lord himself in those who he saves and brings in and we have the privilege of fellowship with them. Why? Because his house is a house of prayer for all nations. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar 
For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So we are to be his inclusive Sabbath-keeping people and we are to be his international praying people. When Jesus entered the temple on Palm Sunday during the last week of his life on earth, before he went to the cross, he quoted this very verse that we're thinking about this evening. In Mark 11, verse 15, we read these words. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, sorry, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus was righteously angry that those from the outside race of Israel not only had to pay, but they were denied the right to pray. Here we see the joy-giving heart of God in Christ with arms extended to every nation. For my house will be called a house of prayer. For all nations. Jesus is gathering to himself, and he is the house of prayer, because he said, Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He's the temple, he's the house of prayer, he's the one who's gathering people from every nation. He is therefore in the business of removing every barrier and every obstacle that stands in the way of anyone on the earth coming to know and love him. We see that in three ways in what Jesus has done and is doing. First of all, when he gave up his spirit on the cross, we rec it's recorded that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The way to God was open. We also see on the cross as explained to us that God's wrath was propitiated. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And he's working in and in his people to destroy within us any residual self-righteous racial prejudice. We need to remember, do we not, that we're sinners saved by grace. Therefore, praise God, we are included in his international house of prayer. There is something beautiful and wonderful about praying together with people. There is something glorious about meeting together for prayer and talking to our Father in heaven. But I tell you, there's something even more beautiful and, uh, 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 than, than praying with people who pray in the same language as you. To meet with people from other nations and other cultures and pray with them is one of the privileges of, and blessings that the Lord gives. Let me give you one example. It was in, I think, 2015-16, I can't remember. I think it was 2015 that John Francis, Ibrahim Jibarov and yours truly, my wife's husband, were sent off to Belgrade to a, a youth conference, to take part in a youth conference um, run by Scripture Union Serbia. And we had the privilege of meeting. We, we took a, a list of the, 
on one evening when we were all sat around, um, we, we took a list of the names of people and where they were from. There were people from Serbia, obviously. There were people from Bosnia. There were people from Herzegovina. There were people from Kosovo, Bulgaria, Albania, Romania, Ukraine, and the United Kingdom. What was such a beautiful foretaste of heaven? We sat round and, I mean, these, these guys can speak English better than we can speak Serbian or Bosnian or Herzegovina, because, you know, they have television. And, but when they prayed, they all prayed in their own language. And, but there was something beautiful about it, something amazing about it. I can remember prayer meetings in this church for Albania <laughs> because it was the first declared atheistic state on the face of the earth. And we prayed, Lord, smash that open, would you please? Would you please deal with that arrogance? Would you please open Albania up to the gospel? And the other amazing thing was what happened in Kosovo between 1998 and 1999 was the Kosovan War. There was tremendous, horrible, vile bloodshed. And the animosity between these people from Serbia and Herzegovina and Kosovo, the former Yugoslavia, they were at each other's throats. They hated one another with a passion. And they were killing each other with a passion. And to see these people who were formerly at each other's throats around the throne of God, praising him in their own languages. It was a joy to behold. These, says the Lord, I will bring and give them joy in my house of prayer. Why? Because in this time of waiting, when we are Jesus-inclusive, Sabbath-keeping people, and his international praying people, we're also called to play our role in the Great Commission in the gathering of his people to himself. Look at verse 8. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. This is a resonance. This echoes um, in John chapter 10 with what the Lord Jesus himself says in, in John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So as we wait for the Lord to return, may we as a church become increasingly inclusive Sabbath-keeping people who embrace well people from not only our culture, but people from other cultures. Now, one of the things that was a joy to me this morning, in the mornings, after the morning service, was to see Ibrat talking to a visitor from our church whose name's Stavros about going to the, more, the men's breakfast. Just a joy. A guy from the Ukraine who lives in, in Flitig and a guy from Cyprus who's now moved into Flitig loving each other and sharing, how can I get you to the men's breakfast on Saturday? That was a joy, was it not? 
as well as the service, of course. But may the Lord make us an increasingly embracing people and an expectant international praying people. And may he expand the horizons of our prayers to the ends of the earth. Let me encourage you, if you haven't already, to get Operation World on your phone. It's a very, you can have the book, there's loads of resources. Today we're encouraged to pray for the continent of Asia. There are 44, sorry, there are 4.4 billion people in Asia. 3.5% of them are claiming to be born-again evangelical believers. When you track the history of what the Lord is doing in Asia, in 1900, there were 3 million Christians in the, co- in the continent of Asia. In, two, in 2010, there are over 200 million What the Lord is doing in Asia is staggering. Let's just get behind this great work of the Spirit of God to reach the nations for Christ and become an expectant international praying people because he's gathered us to his house of prayer and he's gathering others for all nations his house is a house of prayer for all nations and he's giving us all joy in his house of prayer. Let us pray. Father, thank you for what you have done in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Thank you for what you are doing in the gathering in of all of your people from every nation, tribe and kindred and tongue and ethnicity and lifestyle choice. Thank you that you are a God who includes the outsiders. Thank you that we as outsiders have been included. Make us as welcoming as you to those in our community who are despised and rejected. Make us a welcoming, embracing community for their joy and and your glory. Thank you that your house is called a house of prayer for all nations. We praise and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come people of the risen King who delight.